Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Let's stand to our feet and worship together. Are you ready? 
That's what he's telling each and every single one of us this morning. It's to come as we are. We don't have to fix everything before we come in here. We get to know that when we walk into this church this morning, we get to come into his presence just as we are. We can speak to us. He can mold us. He can shape us. He can change us. He can do a new thing. Because he's the same God, though, that he was yesterday, today, and always. So everything that we just sang about, all those truths, all those promises, it's who God is. And it's not for the person next to you, it's for you as well. So as we continue to worship, let's just invite God. Amazing things happen when we are in his presence. And so as we lift up our praises to him, as we choose to, to praise in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, when we choose to praise and we align our heart with his truth, amazing things happen. God moves speaks. So as we continue to worship him this morning, just lift up the name of Jesus. Let's raise a hallelujah in this place and let's allow him to do what only he can do. Amen. So I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a Oh, 
praise this morning. Let's lift it up. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Gonna sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Gonna sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Gonna sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Gonna sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemy. Gonna sing a little louder. Louder than the opening. Gonna sing a little louder. My weapon is melody. Gonna sing a little louder. Hell, it comes to fight for me. We're gonna sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemy. Gonna sing a little louder. Louder than the opening. We're gonna sing a little louder. My weapon is melody. Gonna sing a little louder. Heaven comes to fight for me. Gonna sing a little louder. I'm gonna sing in the middle of a storm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here in this space that we've gathered today. And God, we raise hallelujah to you, to you, the, the one and only God and creator of the universe, the one who, who sent your son to die for us, Lord, to raise us up, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we, we pray for your presence here. We pray for your spirit to fill each and every one of us here today, that, that you would fill Pastor Gay as she delivers your word today. Lord, not hers, but yours. That you would fill her and that you would speak to us today in a powerful way about who Jesus is as, as our, our redeemer, Lord. That you would make it clear to us the, the amazing way that you have interacted with us and how much you love us, Lord. And, and Lord, we lift up those who are gathered in the cafe today, all the children in the children's ministry, the youth next door, and those who are worshiping online, Lord, that you would give them a special anointing, Lord, that you would speak to them today, you'd speak to all of us. And Lord, we're open to you today, that you will do it this time as you will. And we praise you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Salem Fields. How is everybody doing today? Good. Anybody see fireworks last night? Fireworks. Who has plans to see fireworks maybe sometime this week? 
We're starting on our 4th of July weekends, or week, I guess it is. Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you're a guest or a visitor, if this is your first time with us, or if this is your third time with us, we're really glad that you're here. Make sure that you check out, there's a, a special table in the lobby for you. Um, it has a little banner, look something like that. We have a free gift for you, so make sure you stop by there. We just want to be able to connect with you and to get to know you better. And um, you'll also see in your program, there is a connection, what we call our connection card, and that's for you to fill out during the course of the service in the next couple of minutes. And then we're going to be passing around some bin or some buckets to collect those cards and any ties and offerings in just a couple of minutes. And there's some room for prayer requests on that, some contact information. We send out a weekly e-news, let you know of things coming up in the life of the church and the community, ways to be connected. And if you have a phone or mobile device, take it out and check into Facebook, Instagram, Take a couple pictures during the service to show where you are. You never know what effect that will have on those that are watching you and seeing where you are. So make sure you take a moment to do that. And in just a minute, we're going to collect our tithes and offerings. We're going to pass around some buckets. But also know that there's other ways that you can give. And those are listed right here by cash or check that we'll pass that around in a minute. Uh, by debit or credit, there's kiosks over in the lobby that you can use online, automatic withdrawal, and also by your phone with the SFCC app. So make sure you, you do that. If you're a guest or visitor, don't feel compelled to give. Know that your presence here and your connection card is a gift to us and that we give out of a generous heart because God has given us so much. We give a portion back to which he has blessed us. And um, also, there's another piece of paper in your program, and that's the announcements. That's things that are coming up to get connected to things that some events that are getting, um, that you can get involved with in the life of the church. Make sure you read that. There's some great things. We have a movie coming up. We have a mission trip. There's a table out in the lobby, lots of great stuff. And then also just a note, there is no Saturday service uh, next week. We usually have a Saturday night service at six o'clock. There's no service here next week, but the good news is we are having a nine and 11 service next Sunday here. And you definitely want to be here for that. We're going to have a special speaker, one of our missionaries, uh, James and Charity, who will be sharing some of their, their stories. It's going to be a great service. You don't want to miss it. So take it away, Jody. All right, next Sunday, my, my girl Grace is getting married, so pretty excited. Congratulations, Grace. I can't even believe it. You're going to be a father-in-law, Greg. How awesome. Well, this is our last weekend for the GOAT series, Greatest of All Time, and um, we've talked about Deborah and, was it Deborah? For some reason, the word Maureen came in my head, and I was like, I'm sure she wasn't in the Bible, but maybe, who knows. Um, Deborah, John, David, and this week, do you know who we're going to talk about? Uh, Jesus, yeah. All right, so he is the greatest of all time. And so we decided we're going to do the greatest song of all time, according to Rolling Stone and Jay-Z. What do they know, right? I never thought that Bob Dylan would make two appearances on this list, but he is. So let's do it. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine, you threw the bombs and I'm in your prime. Didn't you? People call, say, beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. You still laugh about everybody that was hanging out. So loud 
Calls you carry. 
Christ to the cross to die for you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. And never turn your back to the poor. For in turning your back to the poor, you are turning it to Christ. Limits, like fears, are often just an illusion. I have a dream. Well, that fits, doesn't it? Jesus uh, was kind of a rolling stone, wasn't he? And I know when I listened to that song back in the day, driving down the road, the only thing I knew was, how does it feel? I'd sing along with that every time. Can you believe how many words Bob Dylan came up with? A lot of words there. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, how do you take Jesus and put him, squeeze him into about 35 or 40 minutes? I mean, this is someone that could fill the annals of history throughout time, and uh, we're calling him the goat today, but we're going to close this series out, and uh, it seems to me like as we've looked at goats, that it really comes down to a matter of opinion rather than actual truth. Like for me, uh, I think Billy Graham, I get a hit of him every morning. I grew up, went to one of the Billy Graham things, and every time they sang Just As I Am, every time I hear that song, my heart cries. It just touches something in me. So I see Billy Graham as a goat. I also see Muhammad Ali as a goat because as you know, if you were here when I spoke about Deborah, I had an encounter with Muhammad Ali. Walked into Shoney's and there he was waiting to be seated. Got his autograph, Jody and I did there, she was young. And so I look at Muhammad Ali because he was the greatest of all time in his field. Well that's what's important to me. Uh, And then we might think, well, a goat is somebody that could go anywhere in the world and be known. So I would think of Michael Jackson. So I think of Billy Graham, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jackson. Those are kind of my values and kind of my personal encounters that mean something to me. So what it comes down to, how do we evaluate that somebody is better than someone else? We kind of live in a world of opinion, and that's what it seems to be reduced down to more so than actual truth. So we looked at some of the um, biblical goats and three, three of us brought messages and I believe that Deborah was somebody that we should look at. I called her a goat in the Bible, the greatest of all time. Um, Jason talked about David and he saw him as someone that we could look to as a great leader. And last week, Chris talked about John and how the org chart of the Bible is turned upside down. How to be a great leader, that means we become a great servant. But all of those people were people that we decided to call goats because they were chosen by God, they were great leaders, and they were someone that we could look to to know how to live this Christian life. So when Jody asked me, she said, okay, uh, she always chooses the music according to what's gonna, what the message is going to be. She said, so who's the fourth goat? And I said, Jesus. And she said, oh, the actual goat. <laughs> the actual goat. And I like that. 
But you know, you're here today and you're probably interested in spiritual things. You probably wouldn't be here or you tuned in online because you're interested in spiritual things. But some people would say, yes, Jesus was the actual goat. Some people would say, eh, I, I just don't know. And other people would say, well, maybe, maybe he was. And so if you're here and you, you may be unsure and quite Honestly, I really hope that there are some people here that are unsure if what Jesus said was true. I hope that Salem Fields Community Church is a safe place for people to ask questions and to have doubts because in reality, questions and doubts are what will allow us to be led to truth. We don't all of a sudden get truth dumped down on top of us and bam, we have it all. No, all of us are on a pursuit of truth. And so debates about the identity of Jesus is really common in our world. You know, did he exist? A lot of people will say, did he exist? Was he just another good man? Or was he who he said he was, the son of God? There's great debate on that. So I wanted to kind of play a little risky game here this morning, and we're going to do it through a song. Listen to these lyrics. Cry. 
opened our minds and we said, you know, I, I don't really get love. And we've got a young lady, she's got one week left to be single. <laughs> and she's experienced, <laughs> what? <laughs> she, oh, yeah, enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> good advice. <laughs> but that she's, she's engaged in love. Uh, we all have a version of love. But what if we don't quite totally grasp it? What if we're people who accepted Jesus maybe somewhere along the way? Maybe we were taught about Jesus. Maybe we just have a simple faith and we don't even question. But what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong about some of the things you say? Or what if you're that person here this morning that says, you know, I don't know, I haven't really, I haven't really caught that whole thing about Jesus. I, I, don't, I, I know he was a good man, but I, I just don't get it. And like I said, I hope that there are people here like that here today. Because really, this is the journey that all of us are on. Because who can grasp the truth of Jesus? Sometimes we come across as we've already arrived. We already know it all instead of having an open mind. But imagine if we could just open our mind to the possibility today that there's something more for us to know. You know, there's a big difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. I know about these goats. I can name all of their names. I can tell you something about them, but I do not know them. I've never sat down with any of them, except Muhammad Ali, <laughs> and had a conversation or heard the heart of those people. Because to know someone is to be in an intimate relationship with them so that you can go through the good, the bad, and the ugly and come out on the other side with a miraculous love that says, this is supernatural because I could not do this within my own strength. Suppose we would open our minds for those that have accepted Jesus as the Son of God that maybe you can go deeper and develop a more intimate relationship with him or that skeptic or that person that's doubting and question could say, you know what, I may just open my mind to the fact that he said that he is the son of God, that he's God's son. You see, questions and risk and even doubt is important in pursuing truth. The key for us is an open mind. Oh, if people could just have more open minds to discover truth. Either way, in our world today, people are fascinated with this man, Jesus. Did you realize that? I googled uh, Jesus on the cover of magazines, and here's what I found. It just goes on and on and on and on and on, and it stops here, but it'll go on and on and on, because not only was Jesus on the cover of magazines, he was written about in magazines, even Playboy found that one. Yeah, you just read that for the articles, right? <laughs> I can tell you don't do Playboy because that's a little joke about Playboy. <laughs> but it goes on and on and on. Uh, people are fascinated. I found a couple of graphs that showed how popular Jesus has been. And I find this interesting on the most time covers. 
And look at everybody above Jesus, they're all presidents of the United States. Isn't that interesting? Even when Jesus lived on earth, he had the government authority over him. I find that fascinating. And then look at this, the most, uh, the covers from the amount of time, the most time in between the time covers, which means that uh, the span of time in which those covers happen. We just had uh, two above Jesus. So Jesus is a pretty popular guy no matter what anyone believes about him, whether he was just a, a good man or if he was truly who he said that he was. Now Mark was a disciple. And he traveled with Jesus. He actually lived and he traveled with Jesus and he learned to know him and he wrote a book about Jesus in the New Testament, the Gospels is what they're called, that recorded Jesus' life. And he walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus, he knew Jesus personally. And he recorded some of Jesus' own words that were not only spoken to Mark and the disciples and the people of that day, but they're also spoken to us today. Because sooner or later, all of us have to answer this question. And Jesus and his disciples, it says, went on to the villages. They were traveling together at uh, Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? Because the disciples were out talking to people. Like, people wouldn't actually come to Jesus and say, this is who I know you are. It's kind of how people work. Uh, they, they were saying, so Jesus says, who, who are they saying that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. They don't really know, but they suspect, and they're curious. And still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at them and he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am and he continues to ask us that today and I believe he does so that anyone everywhere has opportunity to definitively say who you believe Jesus is because at some point in time the Bible says that all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's giving us opportunity. He's giving them opportunity to say, who do you say he is? When you go out in your workaday world and you're standing there and you're living in a very hostile to Christianity world, who are you saying that Jesus is? Because most people out there are saying, well, he was a good man. Yeah, I know he was a good man. But son of God, because if, you, if we claim that he's son of God, that changes everything. It changes everything. And here's the thing. Ownership of our faith only comes through personal experience. It only comes through our heart. And, and, and the people who develop and question and doubt and tear it apart are the ones that are going to come up with being more believable and unshakable. You can tell when you talk to someone whether they truly believe what they're saying or if there's doubt in there. Now, the Christian faith isn't based solely on evidence, but there is definitely a lot of evidence to support it. 
Faith isn't about turning off our brains and forgetting about reason and logic and just relying on our heart or our gut to tell us what the truth is. Faith is a choice that's based on our beliefs. And that's why our beliefs need to be picked apart because sometimes we believe things that aren't true. Have you ever found out something later in life that you thought was true? It blows your mind and you found out that it wasn't true at all. That's mind-blowing. And there are some things that we've pulled into life throughout life that we've believed in that are not true. And those beliefs will guide our life if we don't pick it apart and measure it against the truth. And so what we're going to do today is look at some of that evidence, just evidence of who Jesus is. First of all, let's look at the historical Jesus. Now, if you uh, think of some characters in the past, there are, there are people all the way from King Arthur to Shakespeare that people would say they're just mythical characters, and Jesus is no exception. There are people out there that say Jesus didn't even exist. He was a myth. He wasn't real. And there are surveys that'll, that'll tell you that lots of people believe that. But here's the thing with the evidence of the historical Jesus. There are historians that wrote about Jesus that weren't even Christians, that didn't even follow him, that were outside. This is important for you to know so that when you're standing at the water cooler and somebody's saying, ah, he wasn't that, then you can pull out this evidence and you can say, well, here's what I know. I know that Jesus did exist because there were writers in Rome and there were Roman writers and there were historians that were reputable and, and uh, people respected them in their writing like Tacitus. He was a senator, a non-Christian, considered a great historian in early days of Roman Empire. He disdained the Christians. He did not like these people. And he wrote about Jesus' death and existence of the Christians in Rome. And he mentions this Jesus that was leading this superstitious thing that said he was the divine king of the Jews. And he wrote about that. And, and he said that it spread throughout the time of Nero. Tacitus wrote about him. Uh, Sidonius, Suetonius and Pliny the Younger mentioned cr the Christian sex, sect and the martyrs. And they, they were not Jesus fans. And then there was the non-biblical Jewish historian that was well-respected. He was considered one of the best source of information in first century Palestine. And this might get a little heavy-duty, but this is important for you to know so that when you talk to someone and they say, well, you know, I just think he was a myth that you can say, well, here is the evidence that he was a real guy, that he really walked. And, and Josephus wrote in this massive 20-volume history of the Jewish people, and he called them the so-called, he called him the so-called Christ. Now, scholars generally say that Josephus affirmed Christ's existence, and it showed that a person doesn't even necessarily believe that he's the son of God, but still wrote about him. So Jesus was a historical figure. He existed, and we've got evidence of that. Virtually all of the, the scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed. Well, let's look at the Gospels. A lot of people say, well, those Gospels contradict each other. Well, back in the old versions of the Bible, it would say the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, 
and John, and all four of these people traveled with Jesus. All four of the people that wrote the Gospels, and they wrote from different perspectives, they recorded the sayings and the doings and the, the claims, and they recorded one story described according to four different people, which if we got four different people to tell the same story here about somebody, they would pick out different things that meant something to them, and they would record that. All four people would not tell the identical story. And so a closer look at the gospel shows that they are, are not at all at odds with one another. We need to know this. If you would say that Jesus, yeah, I believe Jesus was the son of God, this is evidence that we need to know. There was physical evidence. There still is. Anybody travel to Israel? Oh, you got to get there at some point. It wasn't even on my bucket list, and it happened in my life. And the physical evidence is overwhelming. The archaeological excavations in modern-day Israel have unearthed inscriptions and coins and epigraphs, and that indicates the details of the Gospels. It lines up. It's consistent. Study this for yourself. The people that are most believable and unshakable are the ones that have found the truth for themselves. You don't have to travel to Israel. But it's really important that you don't just accept what somebody else has told you. You know, a lot of people say, well, I was just taught that. Well, you're not going to hold water in the world to say that you truly believe in this, that Jesus was the Son of God. Because if somebody else just told you that, then you just have evidence that it's true, but you really haven't experienced the truth. And my concern for one of the reasons why we have so many empty seats is that we're having fewer and fewer and fewer people actually experience the truth. We're just telling people what we think the truth is. Because when you experience the truth, you are the convincing evidence. You see, today, people are not going to believe unless they can actually see it work it's fascinating in that way there's convincing evidence and the convincing evidence is the first-hand experience of someone who has actually encountered and a person who actually knows the truth because there are a lot of people that will be able to convince of falsehoods there were a lot of false prophets in the Bible. There are a lot of false prophets today. I hope you can recognize them because it's so very easy to believe lies. It's all about our belief system. But the very most convincing evidence is going to be you. It's going to be how much you reflect the truth that you've experienced, not what someone has told you. People in that day reported being gripped by the person of Jesus. I don't hear a lot of people talk anymore about Jesus just, he got a hold of me. He just gripped me and I couldn't explain it any other way. There were even non-believers acknowledged the existence of Jesus, but the most stunning, undisputable evidence of all is someone who says, well, I was that and now I'm this. And I can't explain it any way except there was a supernatural power that changed my heart. 
not hearing much of that anymore. I used to back in the day when I started into ministry about 30 years ago. And I think it's why church attendance is shrinking. Because why go to church? Why go to church if you really haven't found the purpose of it? Lee Strobel was an atheist. He set out to prove this Christ was a fraud. And he was well equipped for the task. He had a law degree from Yale. He was an award-winning journalist at the Chicago Tribune. He had expertise as courtroom analyst. And he was rising to the rank of legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. Tribune. He was not biased toward defending Christ. He was kind of like those historians in uh, early Rome. They didn't really like this guy, but they wrote about him anyway. And so Lee Strobel came onto the scene and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to show once and for all that this is not true. But Lee Strobel had an open mind and he had some what ifs. What if I'm wrong? What if there's more? Just like as believers, we need to be having an open mind and asking some what ifs. And Lee Strobel did. And so he began to dig and he took a fine tooth comb through all the evidence and he discovered the historical record and he saw the eyewitness evidence and he saw that there was this big gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There were 400 years I mean, that's a long time to go without any light in the world. And then Jesus came on the scene. This Jesus, after 400 years of silence in this God story, Jesus arrives on the scene, and he's quoting those Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying that he is the fulfillment of what those Old Testament scriptures said. He said, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he was saying, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill those scriptures, not to do away with them. The Old Testament is still relevant because the prophets and the prophecy and all of that. And here I am, I'm the son of God. Well, people said, you're nuts, you're crazy. And they came after him, even his own people. And so Strobel was reading these eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, and Jude. And he was a skeptic. And he read the letters and the books that later became the New Testament. And they quoted, the New Testament quoted from the 31 books of the Old Testament. And then he saw that 100 years later, people were still following this guy. Why didn't this? They had all kinds of of Christ in that day, people claiming to be the Messiah. And and those, those people would just die out. And they waited for this sect of people to die out. A hundred years later, they're still following him. And he saw that in 397, which was hundreds of years later, the books of the New Testament were formally confirmed and they remained the same until today. And he found evidence that the New Testament was remarkably accurate as compared to the original manuscripts. Now, I don't think I want to sit around and read the old original uh, manuscripts. Kelly loves doing that, and I can get into a little bit of that, but that's what Lee Strobel did. He took a fine-tooth comb through all of this, and he saw that these manuscripts were better preserved than writings of Homer, Plato, and Aristotle, and they were reputable in the world. And he found evidence that the biographies of Jesus were reliable 
reliably preserved all the way to, to this generation. And then he found that Christians had been persecuted then, and they still are today. Do you realize that some people, some Christians, are being martyred today? They're, they're dying. They're dying because they're claiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, it happened then, and it happened now. And in spite of those horrible deaths, people are watching these deaths. Why didn't they run? No, Christianity flourished. It flourished. And it flourished throughout the Roman Empire. And Strobel found scientific evidence where the archaeology confirmed Jesus' biographies. And if you go to Israel, you will still see these places, Bethlehem and the Church of the Nativity. I went in there, and I, you go down deep into a cave to see where Jesus was actually born. And they've unearthed a, a Galilean fishing boat in Capernaum. This is all evidence and they found sites where Jesus performed miracles, and people reported that. And I got to go to Capernaum. It was one of my favorite cities where it's been completely, uh, you can see where there's, there's one original uh, cornerstone of the temple there, and it's where Jesus performed miracles. He called it, he got booted out of Nazareth where he was born, and he called Capernaum, his, his hometown. That's where he found Matthew, the tax collector. A lot happened in Capernaum. When you walk on these grounds, it's like you know that you are walking on holy ground because Jesus walked here. It's just evidence, though. It's evidence. And you can go and you can see all of them. And Strobel, he was searching and he discovered this overwhelming evidence about the person Jesus. And he's saying, I still don't, I, I still don't know if I believe this, but he concluded that nothing short of Christ's resurrection, the very capstone of what we say we believe, could ever transform people. He still had the logic, but he's beginning to be led into truth. And he found evidence of Jesus after his death and his resurrection to be staggering. You know, a lot of us probably don't even care about digging into this evidence. But it's pretty amazing when you get someone that's very a logical thinker or, and, and they pursue the truth. And what happened to Strobel was he began to go into territory that went beyond the evidence. Because you see, just even like science, there's always more to be discovered. We never have 100% truth. And so for us, do we just have head knowledge? Do we just know he, he lived, he was historical? I know that he said that he was the son of God. But who do you say he is? Because you can't know it just based on evidence. There has to be territory. And we live in an anxiety-ridden society and anxiety says i'm afraid of the unknown and so we don't go there and so anxiety is keeping many people out of the unknown we're scared but lee strobel wasn't scared he said i know there's more i know there's more who do you say jesus is is he 
the greatest of all time in your life? Or was he just another man that you know about? We all have to answer that question. And the way that we pursue truth is this way. In Matthew it says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And Paul said this, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, none of us have all truth. The question is, do we have enough of an open mind and have enough of the what-ifs to continue to pursue the truth? Or are we coming across as we've arrived and we're imparting all of this on other people? Because true humility will say, I don't know it all. There's more that I have to learn. I want to know this man, Jesus, in a deeper way, whether you say he's the son of God or not, it humbles us. See, there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. It's all about relationship, whether we have a relationship. And I can give you just five simple skills. What is the most difficult thing that we do in our life? Relationships, right? Don't tell Grace that because she's going to have a life of bliss, <laughs> she knows already. She's had some of those, those problems as we all have. If we're in a relationship, especially a love relationship, that person can hurt us deeper than anyone else. And so we have to have these skills if we're going to nurture a relationship. And these skills are very simple. It's we need to listen. That'll humble us. We need to communicate well. We need to be able to ask questions and to risk being vulnerable. And we have to learn how to give and receive. That's how we develop a relationship. It says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that anybody that believes in him and enters into a relationship with him will have everlasting life and love. That's relationship. Jesus said that he came to connect us to God, to be the connector and that he was God that came to earth wrapped in skin. And that he came humbled as a human being so that he could relate to us and we could relate to him. And this is who Jesus is according to what the Bible says. But you're not going to get evidence of this. This is going to be based on whether or not you believe. Whether you have faith. Whether you risk because if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, it changes everything. Because he says he was 100% God. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus, even though he came to earth, he always was. He always was because he was 100% God. And he was 100% man as well. It says, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he didn't sin. And that means when we connect with him in relationship with him, we can be like him. And Jesus said that he was our salvation. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to me, to, to God, except through me. 
Now Strobel, the atheist, there are some other scriptures there and I gave them to you, but we'll keep on going. Strobel, the atheist, remember him? I was telling you about him. In his disbelief, he rigorously put it to the test. I wish believers would do that too. I wish we were as unshakable and sold out to what we believe as Lee Strobel was. And he, he, he rigorously went through that without religious bias. And after compiling all of that evidence and critically examining the evidence for himself, he said, I do believe. I do have faith after all of this. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And there's a, a movie, you can watch that. It's really dated. It's kind of old. But the story is there in the book. A Case for Christ is there. Because he was stunned by his findings and organized evidence. He got an award for that book. You know, I thought about Strobel, and I thought, that is some convincing evidence. A changed life who had the what-ifs and the questions and the doubts and said, I once was that, I didn't believe, but now I'm this because, and he could answer that question. He, didn't, he wasn't fearful that other people, what other people were going to think of him. He just couldn't help but say what God had done in his life. And I think of others that are pretty convincing to me, like C.S. Lewis, you know who that is? He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote the screw tape letters. He was an atheist as well. But he was raised in a Protestant home. He was raised in a Protestant home, but he left the faith. It's interesting because I was watching a documentary of the Jonas Brothers, and I'm always fascinated to know why people kind of go in a different direction. And just like... Just like um, C.S. Lewis, he was raised, but he left the faith because he said church was really boring, didn't want to be there, and he also said that um, there was so much evil in the world, he couldn't, he couldn't grasp understanding it. And so he began to pursue as well, and he eventually wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, and when he came to Christianity, he was with uh, Tolkien, and they had conversations, and he opened his mind, and he went home, and sitting at his desk, he said, I do believe who you are, Jesus, and it changed everything for him, and he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, and he said, uh, he came to Christianity kicking and struggling, resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape, but he couldn't. It was overwhelming. The experience that he had, and he went on, and we're still talking about him today. He's dead and gone, but he went from this to this, and it was because he knew for sure, and could answer that question for sure, as Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? But it's not famous people that I've seen that happen to. I spent uh, some time with my sister-in-law. Her brother passed away. His name was Bob. And Bob was a guy that served in war, and he came home, and he was a homeless guy. And he was known all around town as just Bob that lived in the van. And he died with his van and a tub of books because apparently he was a reader. He did a lot of reading. And everybody thought he was just kind of mentally ill and scruffy. And, but at his memorial at the graveside, there were about 75 or 100 people there. 
And I thought, Bob, you probably didn't even know you had this many people loving you. They were blown away. And my brother told me that was married to my sister-in-law, he said, Bob always said, there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. He said, every time I'd talk to Bob, he'd say, there is no God. And a man got up. They said, do you want to give some final thoughts about Bob? And he had a lot of childhood friends there. And he said, Bob and I knew each other for years. And he said, the last time I was with Bob, and they were kind of old and gray, he said, Bob told me, I know there's a God. How does that happen? Then there was my Uncle Chuck. I loved him. As a kid, we'd go to their house, and he was a chain smoker. And I cannot believe he did not burn that house down. His recliner had cigarette burns in it from beginning to end. And he'd always have about that long of his ashes, and I'd say, it's going to fall, Uncle Chuck's going to fall, and it would. But he lived to be 90 years old, and all through his life, he said, there is no God. Every time some, he was raised in an orphanage in Hungary, and he came and to the States, and he had his family, and he married my mother's sister, and they lived a life, and I watched them as I grew up, and I loved my Uncle Chuck, but I always knew that he didn't believe in God. He, he read Notre Dame, and he was an Ohio State fan. And that who's who Uncle Chuck was. And right before Uncle Chuck died, he said, I know there's a God. How does that happen? How do you explain that? Well, Jesus put it this way, but who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples, remember Simon Peter, he turned on Jesus. He denied Jesus. Jesus had every reason to boot him out. But you know what Peter found? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, Jesus was a good man, but he was either crazy or he was telling the truth. Peter said, you are the Messiah. And I just want to leave you with the question. Questions are good. Who do you say he is? What are you building your life upon? Let's stand together. Every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question, but I can tell you, if you say that he's the son of God, that means that you'll live for him. And if you choose to live for him, it ain't gonna be easy. You realize that, right? It's not easy, there's a personal cost. It's why many people don't choose it. All I can tell you is that I've chosen Jesus as my goat for one single reason, because I can know him. I don't need to just know about him because he made a way for me to have a personal relationship with him. And I gotta tell you, my life has fall, fallen apart and things have fallen apart all around me. But here's what I know, I have this hope, an anchor for my soul that keeps me safe and secure. When everything else falls apart, I know that he lives because he has held me. I can't answer that question for you, but I sure can tell you what he's done in me. Father, thank you so much for what you have done in my life, for our relationship. But Father, help me not to be the person that says, help me, love me, and do this for me, but a person that worships you in spirit and truth and says, this is who you are, Jesus. You are the Son of God, and you have changed my life. Now, Lord, help me to be a witness and a light for you. So if you're here this morning and maybe you walked in as a skeptic, but there's overwhelming evidence and God's done something in your heart that says, yes, I want to accept him as my personal savior. I want to say, you are the son of God, Jesus. You're not this crazy man that walked the earth. You are God's son. I want my life to be changed. Is there anyone here like that? Makes me sad if there's not. Be quite, because quite honestly, that's who I want my life to reach. But maybe there is, and God's doing something in your heart right now. Not going to ask you to do anything. Just listen very closely to what's going on in your heart. Receive him. Accept him as your savior. That he died for you. He rose again. He gives us forgiveness of sins. That's what the cross was all about. And he takes us from what we were to who he has made us to be. Accept him. Receive him. And for those of you that say, yes, he is the son of God. I know that. Would you begin to dig through, allow your heart to question and doubt? And to say, God, what's holding me back? What's the barrier that's keeping me from being a light for you for what you've done in my life? And then for those of you that are being a light, it's <laughs> so awesome. God, thank you so much for your spirit that moves among us, that corrects us, that challenges us but Lord, that gives us a peace that passes all understanding even when everything else is falling apart. Father, thank you for that peace and that joy that I hold within my heart even when I cry tears. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you, I give you all the glory for what's happened here this morning. Good, bad, ugly, whatever, God, it's yours. I know you can handle it. 
We love you. We worship you here at Salem Fields. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time.